0: Thanks, worship team. I really appreciate their diligence. They are here practicing every Thursday evening, putting a lot of work into making sure that we are connecting with God through song for those of us that can do it that way. Question to get us started this morning, uh, what what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, uh, the answer would be somewhat obvious if we were in the, say, checkout lane at Walmart Well, I'm buying groceries, or if we're at the dentist's office waiting room, the answer would be obvious, well, I'm going to see the dentist, but what if someone came into our church and asked that question of us, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Okay, okay. That's good. That's a start. But what is our purpose? What are we doing here anyway? Are we just having church, singing some songs and listening for a few minutes and then heading out? Is there something more significant? Is there something deeper than that? What are we doing here? Now, our statement of purpose... I believe, is a foundation for understanding who we are and where we are going. And you've all heard it. You should be able to say it with me. I think it's concise. I think it's clear. I think it's compelling. I think it's God's call upon our church that we are here to connect. Connecting people with God, each other, our community, and our world, right? Uh, That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. So let's think about this as we start the new year. Connecting people. Connecting people with God, each other, our community, and our world. Now, what does it mean to connect? So let's begin uh, with that word once again. It is a verb. And what's a verb? What's the difference between a verb and a noun? Okay. One is an action, the other is a state of being, right? difference between a noun and a verb. Uh, This is a verb, so it is an action word. And we'll define it like this right from the dictionary. It means to join, link, fasten, unite, or bind together. It means to establish communication between. But it has to go deeper than just communicating if we're really connecting, wouldn't you agree? And so we bring in the third aspect, to be meaningfully related. To be meaningfully related. And so uh, from this uh, communication together uh, comes a relationship. To be meaningfully related means that we are connecting. And hopefully that's happening in our homes, at our places of work, out there in the community, here in church. But this morning we begin by considering some questions. If we are to connect with God, each other, our community, our world, what does it mean to connect with God exactly? What does it mean to connect with God what does connection with God look like how do we maintain a connection with him uh, how do we work this out those are great questions now nah, let me just this isn't in the script that's okay how do you connect with God okay spend time with him what does that mean how do we spend time with God okay uh praying okay Okay, he's given us his word, correct, to serve as a light to our path and a lamp to our feet to give us wisdom and all of those kinds of things. So we connect with him in prayer. Do you have to be in prayer to connect with God in prayer? Pray without ceasing, right? To join him in what he's doing, which takes us out of our own mindset and puts us in his, right? Right? So if we're going to join him, what is he doing? How do we know what God is doing? Okay, so you're taking a little bit different approach, Nate. I appreciate that. In order to spend meaningfully any amount of time with anyone, you've got to be free from distraction, Right? So, Grant, if you're talking to Rachel and you're on your phone and you're also tending to children, right, how meaningful is that? It is to a certain level, right, but it it needs to be free from distraction. So how do we get distraction free with God? Because our lives are filled with so much noise, right? Okay, you have to be disciplined to do it. There's got to be intentionality, wouldn't you agree with that? If in fact we are going to connect with God, we have to make that intentional effort. So uh, some of us connect with God in various ways. Some of us, you know, you can put on worship music and suddenly you're just taken in the presence of God, right? There's all kinds of different ways. We're not going to say, okay, this is what you must or mustn't do. And if you pray four hours a day, great. I think you're weird if you pray four hours a day. Super spiritual. Well, wow. okay nothing wrong with that, but on the other hand, we should be praying all the time, throughout the day, right? But there is this idea if we're going to develop a relationship, a meaningful relationship with anyone else, we have to spend time with them, right? Through prayer, through the reading of his word. Those are very good things, but don't misunderstand and don't hear what I'm not saying. Just because we have our devotions does not mean we're connecting with God. Be very, very careful and cautious with that idea because it's a relationship, it's not something we check off on our list. So, anyway, all right, that wasn't in there, but let's keep going then. I've got some really good news about this whole thing of God connection. Uh, God wants to connect with us. He's pursuing us. He's chasing after us. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He sent his son to us, correct? God is pursuing. God wants to connect with us. He's waiting for us to return the connection, but he's doing everything on his end to provide for that connection so that we are in a meaningful relationship with him. So God isn't out there just kind of a a moving target. He wants us to know him, to spend time with him. He's pursuing us. Uh, That is a great place to start, I think, uh, in the new year. God sent his son Jesus as a connection point. As a connection point. We who were lost and separated from God because of our sin, God sent him, he went to the cross, and he rose again from the dead. That was the connection point to have a meaningful relationship with God. There's no other way to do it than that. That's the way it's done. He pursued us by sending his son, right? And so once we have this connection with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we become a Christian or a Jesus follower, a little Christ, all that kind of stuff, right? What is a Christian? Well, let's start here. It's one who believes in or belongs to the religion based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Again, different... Definitions from our dictionary. Or it's one who lives according to the teachings of Jesus. One who believes and one who lives the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is what then determines what a Christian is. So think about this for a moment. It's not only believing what he said, it's living out what he taught. So if we're uh, truly a Christian, it's someone whose beliefs and behavior, their walk and their talk their actions and their attitudes are based on the teachings of Jesus. Okay? We start with that. There's a consistency between both what we say and what we do because we say that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Right? So, uh, he is governing not only what we're thinking, uh, but also what we're doing, and we have to do those kinds of things uh, together. The actions... And the attitudes, the walk and the talk, the beliefs and the behavior. Jesus seemed somewhat surprised by people who claimed to have a God connection without backing it up with their lives. And so even while he walked the earth, he asked this question in Luke 6, Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? He understood the disconnection. How does this work? You can't call me Lord and then not do what I am asking you to do, uh, to follow me. Huh. Jesus seems to be suggesting at this point that he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You can't just say it with your mouth and not back it up with your life, right? The beliefs and the behavior have to go together. Now, did you know the term Lord is used 700 times in the New Testament? Do you know the term Savior is used 25 times in the New Testament? Now, what we'll say in evangelicalism, oh, you have to have this personal relationship to know Jesus as your Savior. Now, show me where that is in the Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I say show me where any of that phraseology is even in the Bible. I just challenge you to find it. There's no such thing as a personal relationship. And I know what it means. I get all that, right? But, but we can't take it to a point where it's like, uh, oh, Jesus is Savior. Huh. Can we know Jesus as Savior without knowing Him as Lord? That's the question. Hmm. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? That one, that challenges me. (laughs) Because there's three kinds of people at Southside today. Those who don't call him Lord or do the things he says. Now, I like these people. Having lived both in Europe and Asia, I like this. Because someone will tell you flat out, I'm not a follower of Jesus. There's no game playing, right? You either are or you aren't. You're in or you're out, right? It's not trying to figure out, well, you say you are, but you don't act like it, and you don't really spend time with God, and how does all that work, all that kind of stuff. I like it when we know who's who and what's what. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. And they know there's a line there, when you cross that line, you will actually become a follower of Jesus. I like that a lot. Now, number two, those who do call him Lord, but don't do the things he says. That's another one. We say he's Lord, but don't do what he says. Who does that cover in this room? All of us. All of us. So I'm at the front of the line here, folks, right? Uh, I'm at the front of the line on this one. Those who do say, You are my Lord, you are Lord, but then I don't do the stuff that he says, right? Is he really my Lord at that point? Yes. Yes. The battle's been settled. The war's been settled. Still some skirmishes left to clean up in my own act, right? But I've made that decision that he will not only be my Savior, he will be my Lord. And I know, I know, just like you know, when you start stepping out of what you know you're supposed to do, then it hits you, doesn't it? Whoop. Our conscience. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. And so the third category, those who do call him Lord and actually do the things he says. Now, to me, number three is a destination, (laughs) right? Because we are never going to live our lives in absolute conformity to saying and doing. There will always be a battle that's happening. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But there's three kinds of people. So I ask myself, which am I? Am I number one? Am I number two? Or am I number three? Does it shift with the circumstances or the people I'm with? Do I shift categories, right? Like shifting gears in a car, depending on who I'm with. Sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't want to say anything about Jesus, right? Uh, right. And other times I'm bold, and other times I'm just like, hmm, hmm. which am I? I'm all of them at times, right? But the issue is, what's the desire and intent of my heart? That's what God is looking at. I want to be number three, right? Not by more doing, but it comes by more surrendering. And this all starts with our God connection. So what we've done is we've got a tool here to help us get started together and connecting with God in a broader, more corporate sense. Uh, we introduced this last week across the nation, Alliance Churches banding Together to start the new year of 40 days of prayer. So we passed these out last week, and this is six weeks of Scripture and prayer uh, designed to get us focused on God together, corporately. Uh, so there's uh, time to spend with God each day right? So the link is in your sermon notes. The link is in the newsletter if you prefer the online version. We have these printed for you. How many of you picked one up last week? Good. Yeah, a lot of you did. Great. So we got plenty of them. Uh, Some of you are old school like me. You want the paper version. Others, you prefer the online version. Uh, We've got it covered. But I I just want to encourage you. Let's do this together as a church family. Uh, We've got to start the new year together, and this is one tool that we help us connect with God and bring about the unity that He desires, all right? Now, we also must connect with each other. Your leaders are listening. Your leaders are listening to God. They're listening to you, and quite honestly, we are concerned. We are concerned. We are asking God how to overcome the disconnection and the separation caused by covid recommended restrictions we want to do this in a way that respects those in authority and honors those in authority over us which also makes common sense and common sense for our church family and so we're asking god together what might this look like we all feel disconnected in many ways and sadly uh, as al shared last week uh, for those of you that were here are feeling disconnected from god and his people Now, we've got home groups in place. That is a great way to connect. But you're going to hear about other ways that we are addressing this in coming weeks. How we can get uh, more intimate and more connected even on smaller levels than a home group. Your leaders are listening. We are prayerfully considering, God, in this age, how can we stay connected? Because I don't know about you, but I'm all zoomed out. I'm all zoomed out. Maybe you love that kind of format, and it's cool, and it works. I get all that. But if this is going to continue to endure, we got to work on this. So as we begin this new year, your leaders want to assure you we are seeking God. How do we connect with each other in meaningful relationship? What would that look like? Church as we have known it isn't what is. God is doing something new. Additionally, today begins a new series. We're going to be sharing with you how God is leading concerning our building sale and our next meeting place. Uh, We're going to challenge you to get involved because, folks, right now we are set to close on this property on February 26th. And Crossroads doesn't want anything in the building. What are we going to do with all this stuff? What are we going to do with all of this stuff? What about the chair you're sitting on right now? What's going to happen to that? So, we've got to sort, we've got to purge, we've got to prepare. I don't know about you, but I packed up and moved this year. Uh, that is an event. And so, here we go. We're going to be digging deeper in this series, and this to me is the most important thing that perhaps I have to say this morning. We're going to be digging deeper into why we are doing this. Why are we leaving this facility? Why are we connecting with our community in a more vital way? Why are we doing this? And we're going to be unpackaging this over the next weeks. And then we're going to, in very practical terms, give you a picture of what it's going to look like once we're there. God is doing a new thing. He is doing a new thing. And so we want to uh, bring us all together long on this journey. And I'm very, very encouraged, encouraged by what's happening. Now, uh, for us to take this huge step of faith, uh, we've got to be on the same page. And, and let me close with just a few thoughts on unity. Uh, if we're going to do this successfully, we've got to keep, all oh, everybody hold hands across the street kind of thing, right? We've got to do this together. And that has to do with unity, and a few unity thoughts. Let me start with what unity is not. What unity is not? Uh, unity is not this feel-good nonsense that's uh, proliferated everywhere in the media today, right? And I'm not saying it's wrong. I just say it's it's oh boy, uh, coexist bumper sticker theology. Can't we all just get along, right? Come on, let's just all get along here. It's, that is not unity. Even today's rallying cry, you know, we're better together. Whether it's COVID, whether it's racism, whatever the hot topic is, I get it. But that's not what we're talking about when I'm speaking of biblical unity. Not at all. It's not a spirit of friendliness or kumbaya, togetherness over this common cause, whatever our latest cause is. That's not what I'm talking about with unity. Clear? It is also not uniformity. It cannot be uniformity. Biblical unity is not uniformity. So that means we're not going to look alike. We're not going to think alike. We're not necessarily going to even act alike. Because there's different convictions in this room. Right? And that's okay. Paul would say the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Now check out your body just for a moment. From your, your weird toenails all the way up to to the top of your head, right? All kinds of different parts there, right? All moving, all in action. Uh, Some of you see, some of you can't see. Everything's working, but it's all necessary for the function of this body to do what it needs to do. And so it's absolutely critical that we understand we are not talking about uniformity. There must be diversity for there to be authentic biblical unity. Diversity is absolutely essential, and I'm talking about diversity in all kinds of different ways for there to be biblical unity. The way that Jesus said, I can overcome any differences. Watch what my power and my love can do. So there has got to be this idea that unity is beyond uniformity. So, what is it? It's a result of being in Christ, it's a result of being in Christ. Here's biblical unity. Paul would say there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all what? One. One. So there, here comes Jesus at the cross, knocking down everything that divides, everything that separates, everything that isolates, bringing us into this point of unity as he desires for his followers. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The The whole playing field is just kind of level, right? And all the differences begin to dissolve. Now understand, we're still diverse, and diversity is healthy, and it's absolutely necessary, but they all melt away when we come to the cross, and we understand what Jesus has done for us. All the diversity, right? We're not talking about uniformity, but we're talking about being in Christ. And that begins to change everything in our perspective of life. Secondly, as a result of being on mission with Jesus. So Paul would write to the church in Corinth, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let so there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And this is so absolutely critical. Being of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And purpose. What is the purpose? What's the purpose? When Paul wrote to that church, what do you think the purpose of the church, that church was? What do you think the purpose of any church is? Go and make... Isn't that what he said? Go and make disciples. To know Christ, to make him known. To connect with God, each other... Our community in our world. I don't care how you say it, right? The purpose has always been the same. Take what I've given you, the love that I've shown you, and spread that stuff around. Take it to the ends of the earth. That's always been the purpose. Always been the purpose. It is a result of being on mission with Jesus. We must be on mission with Jesus, and if his mission is to go and make disciples of everyone, of to spread the love that he's given us, of being light in the darkness, all these analogies, That's going to be our next step. Yeah. It's a result of being free from sin. Biblical unity happens when we are free from the sin that so easily entangles us. Would you agree that sin is a destructive force? Yeah. It always divides, always separates, always splinters. It splits us from the inside out. And you know about that right now, don't you? Because you have, if you are Jesus' follower, divine nature, the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God is at war with your sin nature, Paul would say, right in Galatians 5. These two are at war with each other. Wham, wham. You're feeling that right now. And some of us are saying, oh, the things I I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. And man, I just can't get this right. And I keep trying with God. And and that's right. There's a struggle. There's a war going on. And sin separates it, divides it splits us. First in our own soul. And then sin desires to split us from each other. And we are a country divided. And there are spiritual forces at work that want us divided. Because a house divided cannot stand. And so we bring biblical unity against that. This is what this table, the communion table, really is all about. It's about what Jesus has done to overcome the sin that separates and divides us and pulls us apart, both internally and externally, so we might find what he desires, reconciliation and restoration. That's what the table is all about. And it happened to us because of the cross. There at the cross, we come to the end of ourselves. And as I start the new year, I want to come to the end of myself again. And I want to say yes to what God wants. For me, my family, for us together as a church body. And once we're all there, surrendered at the cross, we can experience the unity that Jesus promised would happen and together we really can make a difference I am absolutely convinced of that but we come now to the table right this is where biblical unity begins when we deal with our own hearts in this war that's happening within us and we say Jesus I want to know you as my savior I got to know you as my lord I want my walk and talk to be consistent. I want to quit the game playing. I want to make a step of faith towards you to begin the new year. I want to do it your way, not my way. Lord, would you do this? Would you do this in us? So, uh, everybody got a communion? Uh, Who needs one? Keep your hand up. Yep, just, yep. Good. Aaron, you'll be happy to know that they pre-opened mine. Kind of. Is it just me or these things? Okay, yeah. Okay. All right, so teach me teach me i know nothing about communion you teach me what is this well it looks like a plastic thing with something on top and some something in there some fluid what is this the body of christ is this a symbol is it more than a symbol now we do not believe that this becomes the body and blood of Jesus right and if we were in some other churches you would have to make sure that wafer was put on your tongue and dissolved because if you would put your teeth on that you would actually be crushing the body of Jesus right uh, I believe that this is more than a symbol. I believe that this is a means of grace and an act of me surrendering to Jesus. So there's something spiritual that's happening here. It's not just ingesting what's ever in here, right? That's not what we're talking about. What are we talking about here? What does the bread, if we had bread, or this wafer represent? What does it represent? body of Christ, but specifically Okay, what happened to his body? Beaten. He was beaten, he was broken. Give me some more. Spit upon, Spit upon Mocked, slapped, bruised, pierced. they break any bones? No. No bones were broken in fulfillment of Psalms, right? Psalm 22, no, they didn't break any of his bones, right? Because that was prophesied century before the crucifixion. What do they do with his clothes? They cast lots. Did they tear them? No. Again, fulfillment of prophecy. All right? So they took his body. They beat him bloody in order to execute him. What did they do with him then? After they had beaten him. They nailed him to a piece of lumber in one of the most excruciating ways to die ever invented by man right his body was broken for whom you and me and by his wounds we are healed brought again into god connection and i don't know where life is overwhelming you right now but I'm here to say that broken body on your behalf can bring about healing for your broken heart right now. So what if I have sin in my life? Can I partake of communion? You should confess your sin first, right? Because let's be honest here we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Correct? Jesus is interested in where your heart is right now. Not the failure from the past week or the past year. He's, he understands all that. He wants to know where you are right in this sacred moment of dealing with him and connecting with him. If your heart's desire is that Lord, I bring you my sin. I confess this. I not only confess it. Confess means to agree. God and I agree this is wrong. We also have to repent. Repent and believe the good news. So there must be this willingness to change direction, to change mind. If you're not willing to change mind on the sin and you're stuck in it, I would pass on this. There's a strict, strict warning in Scripture. Doing it in an unworthy manner brings about some not-so-good stuff. But this is not to be exclusive, this command. It's to get it right so we can do this together, unified, right? God doesn't want to exclude us, but he wants to warn us. He's taking this moment very, very seriously. Okay? And so, we come. The bread broken take and eat this is my body which is given for you and so if you would be so kind as remove that wafer and go ahead and just take a moment and reflect on the goodness of god and what he has done for you and for me it's absolutely incredible thank you jesus And so what does the cup represent? His blood. What, is his, what did his blood do? What did it do? What's the significance? His body is broken. He's bleeding from everywhere. What's the significance of his blood? Without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes upon himself the sin of the world. And because of his sacrifice, we are made whole. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of his blood. I don't know about you, but I want to start the new year clean. With a clean heart and a clean mind. A new beginning. And that's what he's offering each of us. Do it together. Do it together. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the kingdom until he comes again. So church family, let's drink together and receive what he has to offer, the forgiveness of our sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we thank God for the unity that he offers us, being of one mind, one purpose. And so I have a prayer request from me to you. It's the same request that Paul made of the church of Philippi. He said, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose God's got some great stuff just ahead and so this past week we've been challenged to be praying together to show this united heart and mind and purpose Sam why don't you come and tell us uh, from your perspective how this whole thing has worked out as we have been looking forward to a home yet to come